0: Good morning, everyone. How are we going? It's great to see you here. It's a bit warm and stuffy, isn't it? Oh, well, hang in there, guys. We'll get through. Um, It would be really helpful for you to have the Bibles open at 1 Corinthians 8. We'll be going through it. We'll be looking at the text fairly closely. Anything outside 1 Corinthians 8 will come up on the screen. It'll be great for you to have that and your little pieces of paper, which has a rough outline of where we'll be going with a couple of sort of uh, key points along the way to help you sort of Integrate what's going on a little bit. Uh, as, we've, as Steve has already said, we're returning to One Corinthians eight after quite some time uh, since last year, where we finished on quite a high point with One Corinthians seven, and now we move into almost a, a whole new topic. And he starts it quite differently. And in your Bibles, you'll notice that there is a t- there's a heading. Right now, the headings are not part of the original text; they're just put in there by the Bible uh, editors those, you know, so in my NIV it says, concerning food sacrifice to idols. That's not part of the original text, that's their editorial comment. But it can be helpful sometimes. But when you read that, sometimes the issues of the New Testament can feel a little bit far away. I don't know when the last time it was that you struggled personally with the issue of food sacrifice to idols. And this one that Paul is wrestling with can feel very far away but not for all of us. I remember early in my ministry life I met a young Hindu man who had come out from Malaysia. He was on the cusp, he was right on the cusp of putting his faith in Christ when we met and over the course of a few weeks meeting and reading the Bible he became a Christian. Now he had a wonderful year with us learning from the scriptures, uh, enjoying Christian fellowship but as we approached the end of the year and he was about to go home he came to me and said I, I, I don't know what to do when I go home I will be asked to worship my ancestors and our household gods one of whom was Ganesha but I don't believe in them anymore what do I do can, can I just pretend can I you know I what do you think I should do now how would you advise him? Now, I'm not going to ask for feedback right now, but just think in your head, how would you advise him to act as he goes home to Malaysia to his family? He didn't want to hurt his family, but at the same time, he didn't want to do the wrong thing. What do you think his approach to his Hindu family should be? Now, this in some ways is quite similar to what's happening here in Corinth. In Corinth, the food that is actually offered to the idols, the meat that's put in front of the idol statues is, of course, never actually eaten by the, by the idols. The idols don't suddenly animate and come and eat it all up uh, and that food is taken later and sold in a sense out the back door. It's like, now, I thought this was very appropriate, you know, we're having a barbecue today, right? Now I know it's not food offered to idols but if at the end of the day We still had lots and lots of sausages left over and we took it down the park and we sold off the sausages, the cooked sausages, for a dollar a sausage or something. That's the sort of thing that's happening in Corinth, only they'd offered the sausages to the idols. No wonder the idols didn't want them. The food was later sold out the back door. So the question Paul is addressing is this, is it permissible to eat that food? And the answer that Paul gives is a a resounding yes, but. And he does this quite a bit through the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll, We'll see, and we have seen, all numbers of times where he says, yes, this is true, yes, you've got this, yes, you can do that, but think about this, think about that. And there are two yes, buts that we will be looking at in Paul's thinking here and that he will apply for us. So the first yes, but is in verses 1 to 3. Now, about food sacrifices to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. See, Paul says we all possess knowledge. And that knowledge he's going to unpack for us in a a couple of moments, so just hang in there what that knowledge exactly is. We'll look at it in in a sec. We know that we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now it's crucial to understand this but not to misunderstand it, not to take it the wrong way as well. He's not saying that it's irrelevant what you know or how much you know all you need to do is love. That's not where he's coming from. No. What he's actually addressing is that sometimes knowledge can be used to hurt people. Now, maybe you've been in a growth group, a small group Bible study, some time or other. And mind you, they are great things to be in. Let me encourage you, we are signing up at the moment. If you're not in a growth group yet, please come and talk to me or talk to Steve or we have, we'll probably have a uh, sign-up QR code later on, sign up for growth groups. But and they're starting really soon, Uh, but sometimes when you join a growth group or a Bible study group, in that group there's a person who's just got that little bit more knowledge. They've perhaps read a little more or even that most dangerous of things, they might have a little bit of Greek. They might even have a theological degree. But they do always have to have that last theological word I've got to have you know, put the last thing in to make sure everything's right. Uh, now, I'm not at, at all here talking about the person who you do respect and who you do turn to and who does care for you and answers with humility and encouragement, but about the person who, when all is said and done, when you th- sit back and you think about it, you, the thing that pops through your mind is, what a show-off. You know the person, don't you? Now, I'm sure that that has never happened in your growth group, but it may well one day. We know we possess knowledge, is exactly what they're saying. And in a sense, it's true. But even if you have the right answer, you have to be aware that knowledge can make people arrogant. You see, knowledge puffs up. It inflates your own sense of worth and, 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 yeah, worth. Genuine love doesn't make people arrogant. No, it builds other people up. That's what love's all about. And in fact, look at verse 2. Those who, might, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. You see, if your, if your knowledge has made you arrogant then your knowledge actually has become harmful to you as well. It's become a curse to you. Curse to you. In fact, the most knowledgeable amongst us in any area. You think about the people you, you know that know the most about some particular thing. People who are like that have really deeply learned actually how much they don't know. Yes, they've learned more things, but as they learn more things, they are actually opening up the vistas of knowledge that, out there that they don't know. And it's just as true as we look at the Bible as it is in maths or engineering or accounting or anything like that. True knowledge, genuinely learned, should come with a good dose of humility. Humility. So if your understanding, if your knowledge, if your theology brings arrogance, it's not edifying anybody. In fact, it's harmful and it's just puffing you up. In contrast, he says, verse 3, whoever loves God is... Now, how would you finish that? Whoever loves God is really mature. Whoever loves God is building other people up. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? But no, do you see what he says, verse 3? Whoever loves God is known by God. That's a bit unexpected, isn't it? The stakes are raised here. See, it's not just about you in relationship to one another, it's actually about your relationship with God. Remember what John the Apostle says up on the screen whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's, It's who we are. It's who we should be if we follow the Lord Christ. And if we are known, if we are known by our unloving knowledge then that knowledge actually isn't true knowledge of God. And so he brings us to the next yes, but, verse 4. We all know, yes, we all know that an idol is nothing. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Now, we heard that in Isaiah 44, didn't we? You know, they take the piece of wood and they build a fire, they cook their dinner and then they make the rest into an idol and it doesn't have eyes and it can't see and it can't answer. It's just a piece of wood. The same goes with the piece of metal. It's nothing. And some in Corinth are saying, we know this. Eating meat offered to idols can't hurt you because an idol isn't anything. There are no other gods in the world. Whether it's Apollo or Zeus or Jupiter or Ganesha, because there's only one God. And this is exactly what my Hindu friend, Hindu become Christian friend, was confronted by. He knew that the gods he would be called on to, to bow down to were nothing. So what did it matter? Surely he could just do it and, and knowing that it wasn't real, it'd be all okay. And so he'd keep his family happy. What would you do in that situation? Paul says in verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, in inverted commas, and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. You see, as Christians, we know that there is only one God and only one Lord. That's part of his argument, that's part of what he's he's basing all of his advice on. But, he says, yes, we know this, but, verse 7, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Now, there are three things for us to grapple with here that Paul is presenting us with. First one, that there is nothing intrinsically wrong with eating food offered to idols. Because... Of that point because we know the idol is nothing. It's not a god, therefore food is just food and if you can get a good deal in the temple butchery out the back of the church after the sausage sizzle then go for it. We all know this. Paul would never have spoken about uh, like this about other issues, for example adultery. He would say well some of you think adultery is okay and others of you don't so it's up to you, you work it out and it's a disputed matter, therefore do what you think is right. No, of course, some things are just plain wrong and are clearly spoken about in the Scriptures as just plain wrong. But he is saying in this case there's nothing intrinsically wrong with eating the food. After all, back in Mark chapter 7, Jesus himself declares all foods clean chapter 7 verse 19 for it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach it's the food and then out of the body in saying this Jesus declared all foods clean so offering it to an idol doesn't suddenly make it dirty again but some people but some people don't feel free to eat in this way not because it's per se wrong but because it becomes a matter of disagreement with different groups coming at it from diff- to different conclusions. So what do you do with it? When people have two different views, I, I can't eat because it's been off the title, oh, you're free to eat because there's nothing to it except it's just a lump of meat, what do you do? How do you reconcile the two positions? Well, verses 4 to 6 that first of, show us that first of all, Paul takes time to show that the practice itself is not wrong. But then second step is... He shows that there are times when the disputed matters, these things that they disagree about, not the wrong, like, not that you can disagree over things that are just plain wrong, but in this case, this disputed matter will be wrong for some people. Now, how can that be? Well, look at verse 7. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. See, not everyone has the knowledge, deep down, that this idol is nothing. Some people might have come to Christ out of a a strong idol-worshipping background where their worship of the idols has been ingrained since childhood. And they've come to believe that there, there is only one God over all, even though at one stage they believed in many gods. And they are responsible before the one God now. And this God, who has come to us in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, and who through whom we are reconciled to him, not on the basis of the sacrifices to the idols, but on the basis of one sacrifice, once for all, in the death, and resurrection of Christ. They understand all of that, but they also understand that if they participate in the idol feast, then they're denying the gospel that they now believe. They can't imagine how it is still acceptable to go and eat food that is offered to idols. So, we have these two perspectives, right? We have the one perspective, we know the idol is nothing And therefore, these people who have a problem with that have what Paul calls a weak conscience, which Paul means they think something is bad that isn't actually bad, okay? What we actually might call something completely the opposite, that is an an overly strong conscience, overly overactive conscience, So if they eat this food, you see, they go against this conviction of what is right and wrong before God. But their conscience, their conviction isn't fully informed yet. Paul doesn't want us to go against these convictions, this conscience, because when we do, we're actually internally rebelling against what we think God wants us to do. So even if though the action in one sense is is neither here nor there with respect to these disputable matters, if we think it matters to us, then it matters to us. Now we'll see another side of this in a couple of weeks' time when we come to 1 Corinthians 10 and Steve opens that for us. But if we think something is wrong for us to do, then it is wrong for us to do. But look at verse 8. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. You see, whether you have knowledge or you don't, whether you have the weak conscience or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make you fundamentally closer to God, more holy, more in tune, one way or the other. And so we come to step three. Be careful. It might actually be better, he says, to avoid the disputed practices if you are one of those whose convictions are that it doesn't matter. You follow that? So if you think it doesn't matter, you're free to do whatever you want, it might actually be better for you to not do what you feel you are free to do. Verse 9 to 10. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak, For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So that is, someone with a weak conscience in this sees you who has been a Christian for 20 years getting a great deal on scotch fillet at the idol tempers butchers. Now this is the temple of Asclepius in, um, in Corinth and that lump of rock there is actually the marketplace where they did exactly this thing. They sold the meat, they would sit down and they would eat there. So it'd be like having a cafe out the back, right? And we have a cafe out the back of the idol temple, not the church, the idol temple. And so what might people think if they walking down the street and they look up into the idol temple cafe and they see Steve eating there? Well, if Steve thinks it's okay to do, then it must be all right, even though it's been offered to idols. So they buy it, they feel guilty about it, but they did it because they see Steve do it, or Ken do it, or Lauren do it, or name the person that you respect. And and because of that, verse 11, this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge because they've been tempted to do what is against their conscience, their convictions, and they wouldn't have been tempted, they wouldn't have sinned if they hadn't bought the meat. And so, for my Hindu friend, the question is really what is going on for him and what will his parents and family actually see in his participation? If they find out it's a sham, that he's just making it all up, Then they'll be deeply hurt and offended. But if they think he really is worshipping Ganesha, then he's telling them in action that he has not turned from his old ways, has not repented, and Christ is less important than idols. In the end, as we discussed, it became clear to him that the idols were nothing but that his actions around that idol area meant everything because of how he would approaching it. Is he keeping the door open? Does he want to bed each way? And for his family, does Christ become that thing that makes them stumble, as is predicted in the scriptures, or is he just an also-ran? Well, just one of those phases he went through and now he's back to being a good Hindu boy. So you see, it's all about how we use freedom. There are deeper issues than eating or not eating idle food or drinking or not drinking alcohol, for example, or a host of other things. And Paul's question here is, who has the weak conscience? Who is it that thinks something is wrong to do that isn't really wrong? And Paul wants people to have a stronger conscience, to have more in-line convictions and knowledge about about what the Scriptures teach us. He wouldn't write these things if he didn't want us to more deeply know the freedom and truth that's in Christ Jesus. And if you don't yet know that Christ is your Lord, then remember these two things that we've already heard. Number one, there is only one God. Relativism and pluralism are not true. There are not lots of gods, some for some and others for others, and nobody for the atheists. It's not a choose-your-own-adventure, but there is one God and one Lord Jesus Christ who has been resurrected as your Lord whether or not you accept him. He's the Lord of the universe who is opening his arms to you today. And if you would like to know him, then we'd love to help you get to know him. And if you'd like to know the freedom he brings, we'd love to help you get to know that freedom as well. So come and talk to me or or talk to Steve or put it on the connection card. It'll come up a little bit later. But fellow believer, Paul wants us to know that an idol is nothing. Nothing and to know what is right and wrong more thoroughly be shaped by the Scriptures. But do you see, he doesn't say the strong are then to take the weaker side and give them a little lesson. This is what's really going on. No, what he wants us to see is that it's actually more important not to lead them into temptation, not to take them into sin, by our actions. So to those who think they are strong, I say, do not stand on your rights. If by standing on your rights, you're damaging others. Because to give up your rights for the sake of others is a profoundly gospel attitude, isn't it? Look at verse 12. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Now, that could mean you're sinning against the church, which is the body of Christ, or that you're sinning against Christ because you're going against His attitude. I think there's an element of both going on. But did Christ stand on his rights as the creator God? Lord and king, mocked by the soldiers, crown of thorns on his head, hung on the cross. At that point, he could have called a legion of angels to rescue him, but he didn't. He wants us to see that it's more important to love others, just as he did, to as he died a shame-filled death to save sinners, so we should put ourselves out for the good of others. As a Christian, I know the meat hasn't been offered by, to idols, hasn't been changed. I can eat it if I please. and That's okay in itself. But if you're following the Lord Jesus, then we also ask another question. Will I be doing damage to the Church of Christ, to my brothers and sisters... Is it so important for me to stand on my rights when we serve a master who stood on none of his? And we ask, how do I best serve, how do I best love my brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, Christians gladly forego their own rights to do things that are not by essence wicked simply because they love their weaker brothers and sisters and do not want to harm them. And when they live like that, they are following the Lord Jesus and living out the Gospel. When we live like this, we are demonstrating God's love in our world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, in an age and time when many are standing on and demanding their rights. We are grateful for the right you have given us, the right of access we have to you through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We are grateful for the justification we've received by faith. We're grateful for the right of having clean consciences because Christ himself cleaned our consciences. And by becoming sin for us, He who knew no sin might make us to be the righteousness of God in him. At the same time, Father, we are encouraged, we are exhorted to take up our crosses and follow him. So help us not to stand on our rights, if by so standing we end up hurting, wounding or breaking the consciences of brothers and sisters in Christ. do not yet know the freedom that is offered fully. Forbid that our use of knowledge should be to hurt others instead of to build others up in their most holy faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think we're going to sing, so I've got to run down there, but if you'd like to stand, keep your masks on Dave, and we'll lead you in singing.